Welcome to Funds in Focus by the senior members of the investment strategy team at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Join our experts as they explore how current market trends are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, you'll learn how a specific FlexShares ETF operates and how the market has impacted the fund, along with the potential long-term implications of your client's portfolio. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Funds in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Jehan Mady, and I'm joined once again with Chris Humer, Senior Investment Strategist, and Dan Phillips, Director of Asset Allocation. Thank you both for being here with me today. As much as our listeners to jump right into today's episode, as there has been lots of talk on infrastructure. I feel like infrastructure has taken some of the hardest hits during this global pandemic. Talks about what is actually infrastructure. Is it roads and bridges, mass transit, jobs, and how do you pay for it all? As we see the economy starting to open back up, discussions and decisions will soon have to be concluded in our rapid environment. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Chris, can you talk a little bit about why investors should be interested in infrastructure? Absolutely. Hi, Jehan. It's great to be back with you again. Let's take a step back before we even get into why investors should be interested and just help our listeners locate what we mean when we talk about infrastructure. What we're talking about is location-specific, capital-intensive assets that are used in the transportation of goods and services, raw materials, people, information. These assets tend to be inelastic in demand, and, and what that means in, in common language is that people prioritize them over discretionary purchases. I need access to electricity before I can go out and buy an electric car. So that's the key, is that these are things that people look as needs, not wants. Additionally, they also tend to have high barriers of entry into space, whether that's because they're so costly to initially build or people don't want multiple power lines going to their houses. So they they tend to often operate in a fairly monopolistic environment where you have maybe one singular choice. You don't have multiple choices. And because of that, they're highly regulated. What all of this does is it leads to fairly predictable cash flows and as well as expenses, which gives it a very unique feel compared to a lot of other common equity that's out there in the market. Kind of go back to to your initial point. I think the view of infrastructure being hurt during the pandemic is completely a a common view, but I'd like to offer a little bit of clarification there. It's absolutely true that some pockets of of the infrastructure complex were definitely affected by the pandemic. Things like obviously airports as travel around the globe came to a virtual halt. Things like seaports, uh, pipelines even were impacted. But there are other areas of the infrastructure complex, such as communication companies that thrived during the pandemic and offered balance compared to those other areas that were hurt. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that there's an importance to be broadly diversified across the infrastructure complex, which is something we've been advocating for over eight years since we launched the FlexShare Stocks Global Broad Infrastructure Index Fund. I know that's a a mouthful there. The ticker is much simpler to say. It's infra and FRA. But what I want investors to take away from this is to be mindful of the entire infrastructure complex. And that extends beyond looking at glorified utilities and, and, and transportation. That being said, so from where why investors should care standpoint, really infrastructure as an asset class can offer investors several potential key benefits. 
that can help their asset allocation decisions. These potential benefits include portfolio diversification. Dan, I think you guys have done uh, a great amount of work of looking at the returns of asset classes and where they come from. And when we look at infrastructure, you see that they're really this hybrid security, that they have access to equity markets, but at the same time, they have exposure to interest rates. So they kind of have this kind of quasi fixed income component to them as well. And what that does is it gives you potential diversification from equities and fixed income together. So looking at it like a traditional 60-40 portfolio, infrastructure is a way to add additional incremental diversification because of that variance in returns. Additionally, for those investors who are looking for sources of income, especially in this low rate environment, because of that fairly predictive cash flow and expenses, infrastructure companies typically tend to be uh, a great source of income. And then finally, when we talk about inflation, which is something that a lot of investors are looking at today, these securities or these assets and infrastructure because of the long duration of them and the, the way that pricing, because it's highly regulated, often tends to be tied to inflation measures like CPI. Inflation assets, excuse me, infrastructure assets tend to be great long-term inflation hedges and offer inflation protection as well. So those are for me the key benefits from an infrastructure asset class. Yeah, I might jump in there, Chris, and kind of magnify or, or, or repeat a few of the things you said and reiterate a few of the things you said. Certainly from our perspective, when we think about creating our, our strategic starting point for our multi-asset portfolios, we bring infrastructure into that mix. And we certainly do think of it as a risk asset. For those of you who know how we do our portfolio construction, you will know that we do risk assets and risk control assets And risk assets are those that have equity exposure. And infrastructure certainly has equity exposure. It is an equity-like asset class, right? These are the equities of these individual companies that we're investing in. But to your point, what we like about them within that risk asset bucket is the diversification that it can bring because of the factors that it has exposure to. So in more technical terms, we would call it term exposure. Uh, In more layman terms, that's simply just it has interest rate risk for many of the reasons that you pointed out earlier. Now, a couple of things in this current environment that's interesting is one, the low rate environment means it's hard to find income as many of uh, the listeners are I'm sure painfully aware. And so going into the risk assets like infrastructure uh, to get your income is appealing. Now remember that it is a risk asset, but I would say it's a lower end risk asset class. But then two, just the diversification that comes from being in an asset class that not only has equity exposure, so the equity factor exposure, a lot of times called market, but also the term exposure, which as we just discussed is that interest rate exposure. It just gives you more diversification from that a more p- empirical approach alone. And so we like it in the, the portfolio. It goes into the portfolio alongside some of our other supporting, what we call supporting risk asset classes. And that would include things like high yield, high yield bonds, but then also natural resources, which we did a podcast on uh, a month ago or so, but then also uh, global real estate. And the last thing I would say before turning it back to you, Chris, is that infrastructure is a really interesting asset class because it is really a cousin 
if you will, to global real estate. Global real estate has some of those same exposures, equity exposure, of course, but also a lot of term exposure or interest rate exposure in global real estate as well. But what I would say is that listed infrastructure is kind of the safer cousin, if you will. It has a a little bit more downside protection than real estate. It's empirically, its standard deviation is lower than real estate. And and especially in this environment where there's a lot of uncertainty around real estate for those who liked real estate because of the income it could provide, but are a little bit wary of the asset class, weary, I should say, of the asset class because of everything going on, the Amazon effect, et cetera, office space rationalization as people, as companies try to determine whether or not and how many people they will have back in the office at any point in time. So there's uncertainty there, but you can go to the infrastructure and get some of that same income. And then to the point you also made, I'll, I'll end on, is that there is that inflation protection. Bonds do not provide hardly any inflation protection. It's fixed, called fixed income for a reason. Tips, of course, can, but there's still the issue right now of how low the yields are in, in tips, whereas infrastructure provides you the better yield. And in many cases, the companies are able to actually contractually are able to increase the yield alongside a CPI. So certainly deserves a place in the portfolio. That is good insight into the infrastructure in general. So thank you both. Dan, what do you think in today's environment may make infrastructure attractive to investors currently? Yeah, so I think here it's it, we can go a little bit deeper into that whole kind of comparison to global real estate. And as I was talking about, there's a little bit of uncertainty with global real estate today. Now, by no means are we negative on real estate. We're actually equal weight to real estate. We recognize some of the uncertainties, but we also think where valuations are for that asset class that there is certainly the potential to be paid for that greater risk we're taking on right now. But we stay, we, we have stayed neutral in real estate just because of some of those uncertainties. And because to the point I was making earlier, we have a little bit more certainty that listed infrastructure can give us some of that income, that inflation protection, should inflation continue to move higher. We candidly do not think it will, but that is one of our biggest risk cases And so we like it from that perspective as well. And then what I would also say, and this goes back to some of the comments from very early on in the podcast, is around how much some aspects, some areas of infrastructure fell over the past year due to the unique aspects of this pandemic-induced recession. Normally during recessions, you see interest rates come down and because infrastructure and real estate for that matter, have some exposure to lower interest rates. And and by that, I mean, when interest rates go lower, it helps these asset classes, it benefits them. But this time around, a lot of that was overshadowed by the fact that the economy didn't just slow down, it completely shut down in many ways, especially with respect to air travel, for instance. And so when you look at some of the sectors that show up in infrastructure, you have airports, you have seaports, And then from a goods, that's the movement of people and goods. And then more so on the side of movement of goods, you have rails or you have pipelines, which of course move the energy, oil, natural gas, et cetera, that help power the entire economy. So we saw a really unique and acute fall in some of those sectors that at this point, as the economy is reopening, we think there's some real opportunities there. So you've got those that sort of upside, if you will, from seaports, airports, rails, pipelines. Well, you also in this asset class have this utility utility sector to it, about 40%, I want to say. 
Chris can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that is an, an area that should benefit from our other big view, which if you follow Northern Trust's views closely, that we are certainly in the of the belief that interest rates will remain lower for longer. Our expectation, for instance, for the 10-year Treasury is for it to stay around 1.5%, and we've been in that camp for some time. We saw, of course, the 10-year Treasury get up to about 175 and ever since then, it's come straight down. So that is a nice tailwind as well for the asset class. Overall, uh, of all of the asset classes where we have overweights, listed infrastructure is as big of an overweight as any right now. Yeah, Dan, to, to clarify that from a utility segment, yeah, if you add the energy utilities to the the water and waste and other utilities, absolutely. We tend to, and this is really from a product design perspective, we wanted to include the energy utility companies in with the, the pipelines more than with the other utilities, because what you find is if you just simply put all utilities together, the energy utilities overwhelm the, the rest of the utility complex and you don't really have exposure to very little exposure to water, no exposure to waste. And so empirically, we wanted to make sure that we had those additional types of infrastructure in the product. So we parsed it out that way from a design perspective. So the numbers on, the, on, on our websites or our fact sheets will be slightly different just simply from the classification. But yeah, from a logistical standpoint, absolutely. Well, what you're saying. It'll be interesting to see how the current environment connects to the asset class. And now we move to the fun part. Let's get down to the execution. Chris, if an investor is interested in investing in infrastructure, what are the options available to them? Is this an asset class that's limited to large institutional investors? Yeah, Gian, that that's a great question because really, truly the asset class has evolved so much over the last 30 plus years. It's true that there was a time when only certain accredited investors were able to access infrastructure assets through direct investment or that inefficiencies in public-private partnerships led to sweetheart deals that only a select few could access. But markets have gotten more efficient. Governments have gotten smarter in their deal-making, or at least incrementally so. And increased transparency has led to increased scrutiny of public good privatization. All this has contributed to another evolution that these infrastructure assets are now available as publicly traded listed securities. I think a lot of investors might be surprised at the amount of these assets that are actually available in uh, public common equity markets. So just to give a couple examples, if you've ever flown into Paris and the Charles de Gaulle, that's actually a public security that you can invest in. The largest airports in Sydney, Australia and Frankfurt, Germany are both listed securities. The largest seaports in both South America as well as in, in Shenzhen are both, or all three of those are all listed securities. I think that's the other thing is that this isn't just a Western phenomenon. You're seeing this being truly global that you can get these access to these securities as publicly traded uh, companies, as well as things like cellular tower networks, fiber optic cable networks, all of those are data centers. All of those are available as publicly listed securities. And for us, that as an extra level of benefit to the investor in our minds for a couple of reasons. One, ease of access. You're talking about much easier liquidity, liquidity access. So you don't have those gated entries and exits that you 
could have with other types of infrastructure, whether it's direct investment or private equity, but also just from a transparency basis, particularly in the ETF vehicle where you have daily holdings disclosed, the due diligence around monitoring and managing your exposures through infrastructure assets is so much easier when it comes to the using listed equity compared to, to other see, forms. And what challenges of, of do investors need to be aware of within the infrastructure space? And how do you solve for these in infra? Sure. Uh, I think the challenges are twofold. How do you diversify those assets and how do you, clar- uh, how do you classify these assets? And, and I think we've kind of ta- uh, touched on that a little bit throughout this presentation. Diversification is key for all asset classes, but even so more for infrastructure. Because of these assets are so capitally intensive and because they're location specific, they tend to have unique challenges that are associated with them as well. Those being things like regulatory risk or, or government regime change risk. As you see even here in in the United States, you could see that as we go from administration to administration, the view of certain types of infrastructure has changed over time. I, I think of net neutrality and the view of net neutrality from from a fiber optic cable and a cellular tower network and, and access to the internet. Things along those lines have changed. And we've had administrations talk about how internet service providers should be viewed as a utility no different than your electric company. And so those kind of have to come into play. Geographically, obviously that matters. But additionally, like natural disaster risk, as we've seen because of these capital intensive assets, they could be impaired by a natural disaster. And the more ge- more diversification you have around the different types of infrastructure, the geographies of those infrastructures and the patronage, like how those infrastructure assets earn revenue, all of that matters. And you want to take a diversified approach to that. Secondarily, and also related, is how you classify infrastructure is a challenge, particularly in the world that I spend most of my time in, which is uh, rules-based, index-based ETFs uh, that typically have to have a classification system built into them. Now, if you look at a lot of the products in the infrastructure space, and I want investors to be mindful of this, is they use some sort of sector code, whether it's GICS codes or ICB codes to identify what is an infrastructure asset. And those sector codes are excellent at being equity classification systems. They're not built for infrastructure. And so when you look at something like data centers or cellular tower networks, typically both of those in the United States have been incorporated or I guess incorporation is incorporated is the wrong word because they're set up as real estate investment trusts. And so as REITs, the lowest level of GIC sub-industry code is where they're classified as specialized REITs. But inside that bucket as well are things like public storage facilities, timberland, casinos in some cases. And so it's really hard to parse that out if you don't have a classification system that does that. The way that we attempt for, to solve for that is by using a bottoms-up approach. And, and that's something that our index provider stocks is really uniquely qualified to do. They have a quantitative approach that 
looks at a company's balance sheet and income statement, is able to use their balance sheet and footnote information to identify infrastructure assets and then tie it to the revenue of the firm. And then if a company gets the majority of their revenue from infrastructure assets, they can classify them as an infrastructure company. Our view is that is a better way of getting into that granular approach of capturing all the different types of infrastructure. In addition to that, back to that diversification quandary and how we want to address that is a couple of ways. One is ensuring that we have subsector access. So go back to what we just talked about, what Dan and I just talked about from a utility standpoint and that classification of the energy utilities. That was very deliberate so that we can get exposure to those other types of utilities. We've taken that approach across all of the super sectors of infrastructure. So when you're talking about utilities, energy companies, both pipelines and energy utilities companies, things like communications, government outsourcing and transportation, being mindful that you want access to all of those various categories underneath each of those big buckets is really important. And also to be mindful that these these assets are evolving. And so building in, in our approach, a dynamic super sector weighting that really takes into account the global market so that as the weights of those different segments change, the, the product would also take in, or the strategy would take those into effect is very important to us. And that's why we built all of that. Thank into you for that process. breakdown, Chris. Any closing thoughts? Sure, I'll, I'll go first. I think Dan covered a lot of why we view infrastructure as, as attractive today. I, I think one of the things we, we're seeing is we're, we're seeing more and more investors look at the more robust definition of infrastructure, that it's no longer just a glorified utility fund, that they're looking at things like communication networks as a key component of the infrastructure asset class. And, and that's something we've been advocating for over eight years now with our infra product. And, and it's something that it's good to see others verify and, and also take that same view when it comes to the product suite. And I'll just add one thing here, which is that some critics may rightly point out that what you have in infrastructure is really found in global equities. This is not additional equities that wouldn't be found in, say, the ACWI, the MSCI ACWI or whatnot. But the point here is that we feel that, that the characteristics of these individual companies and their stocks, their, the, the equities of those companies are so important because of the attributes that they can bring that we think a dedicated position makes sense. Again, back to the points earlier, it can provide more income, it provides more diversification. And we know that if you look at the, the market cap weighted indices, they've become heavily dominated by some of the tech companies. So even more today than say five, 10 years ago, we like having a little bit more of infrastructure in the, in the portfolio mix. And that actually goes the the same for things like natural resources and real estate well, as thank well. Thank you both for your insight and joining me today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to Funds and Focus. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com slash funds and focus. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. 
This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There is no guarantee that a specific strategy will be successful. ETFs are subject to specific risks, depending on the nature of the underlying strategy of the fund. These risks could include liquidity risk, sector risk, as well as risks associated with fixed income securities, real estate investments and commodities, to name a few.